and good day, Wit and Whiskey fans, and a special hello to all of our new fans. Uh, I don't know what the cause nor the effect is, but we have a lot of new downloads and a surge of new listeners. We're like Omicron. We're just, we're annoying and we're having a surge. <laughs> yeah, I love it. There you go. I like that one. <laughs> uh, my name is Mark Rossetti Jr. Here, as always, with the... I don't know. You disagree with me a lot, so I guess you'd be Fauci. If I'm Omicron, you'd be Fauci. <laughs> DJ Gagnon, how you doing, buddy? I'm <laughs> doing pretty good, buddy. How you been? I can't really complain. I mean, this week uh, was a big milestone. I paid off my student loans this week. Whoa, that's so good. I think we did it like 20, 2020, but it's it feels so good when you do it, right? It feels so good, and I, I am not putting this on record to gloat or to do anything. I just want it actually on record that for a brief period in time, I am actually debt-free because I'm probably going to go out and take out a car loan at some point. Of course you so, are. So this will serve as record <laughs> that there was one point in my 35-year life where I was briefly debt-free. Uh, but, I mean, that was that was the big thing there, uh, I don't think I had the switch last time we recorded, did I? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Fans, it happened. Mark Rossetti got a switch. Uh, what is the line uh, in The Godfather? I have a sentimental weakness for my children. I don't have any children, and if there's just a loving God, I never will. But I do have a wife, and I have a sentimental weakness for my wife. And... Our niece, who was in for Christmas, she actually spent Christmas up here with our in-laws. She received a switch for Christmas, which was very funny because her father, my brother-in-law, was much more excited about it than she was. <laughs> uh, I mean, she was excited, don't get me wrong, but he was much more excited. And the wife seemed very interested in it. And, you know, I said to her, hey, do you want one? And she kind of rolled her eyes and said, oh, no, you know. Pete says you can't get any of them. They're all out of sold. I said, no, no, they're sold out of stores. I said, you can get one online. You're just going to pay a little bit of a surcharge. And we did. And so we have one now. I bought it mostly for her, although I play it. I'm not going to sit here and say I don't play it. Of course you do. Uh, it's interesting. And I have to say, just briefly, without us derailing everything completely, because I know at some point DJ wants to do a victory lap and do an episode solely on the Switch. <laughs> uh but I have to say, the thing that I've been most surprised about is actually two things. Number one, how much I actually play it undocked. Yeah. I once famously said that it would never see the outside of the dock. Yeah, that's not one. true at all. It, it's not, and I don't know why, and it's kind of weird. Uh, but number two, I'm really enjoying Smash Brothers. It's so and, good. Well... What's interesting about it for me, now, I've played pretty much every Smash Brothers. I've enjoyed them. They're fine games. But to me, they're a party game. You have people come over. You have a couple drinks. You play Smash Brothers. It is what it is. But this one is such a love letter to video games, mm -hmm. like as a genre, as an art form. There are tropes and references inside, I mean, between the characters and the assist trophies and the music and the levels and everything. I mean... I was playing it today. There's a fucking Fatal Frame reference. Yeah. Like, three people played that game. <laughs> Two of them are dead. Uh, so it's... Uh, I've been really, really enjoying that, uh, which was very surprising to me. Also, it was very surprising to wife to not like Animal Crossing. Huh. 
she finds its open nature kind of dumb, in her words. She's like, what do you do now? Well, whatever you want. Uh, that, That game really opens up when you can start terraforming. Yeah, apparently there are island star rating systems, and uh, I was actually talking about this with my coworker today, because today is the first day that I'm actually back at work. Yeah. I've had 10 or 11 days off, so today was the first day I was back in the office, and my one coworker, who's a very early adopter of Switch, was telling me all these things, and I had no idea what she was talking about, and she's like, well, do you have a three-star island? And I'm like, islands have stars? And she's like, oh, honey, you have so much longer to go. Yeah, I maxed out the stars, so uh, you can tell uh, very quickly if you're running around your island uh, and you start finding lilies of the valley just, like, popping up out of the ground. Um, Sure. I've got a small (laughs) row of them in my giant flower garden. We can fucking talk about Switch all day, buddy. Yes, save us. What did you do this week? I petted the cat and played Switch. What did you do? Uh, This is my first day back to work, so I I had two weeks off. Uh, it, it was a really great week. We we held uh, a friends miss last week with some friends. They slept over, um, and we you know we watched a bunch of Christmas movies and uh, we made cinnamon rolls and it was just uh, an all around good time. Um, and other than that, I've just been you know catching up on sleep and getting ready to go back to work. Um, work was all sorts of insanity today, but uh, it it, it kind of felt good to be back. I, I don't know, Mark, if you've ever actually taken two-week vacations, but uh, I hit, like, maybe eight or nine days in, and I was like, all right, um, <laughs> playing video games and, and being a couch potato is getting boring. So um, I, yeah, I've, I, I've officially started my cosplay project. I, I went online yesterday and spent, like, three or four hours analyzing the anime that I'm going to be cosplaying so I can get all of my reference photos. And then I, uh, I ordered some cosplay fabric to kind of do some testing with it to see if it'll, uh, meet my needs. So that, that's kind of where I'm at. No, I'm with you on that. I am basically every ugly American stereotype and that includes the whole lack of taking any meaningful vacation. And uh, there's two reasons for that. One is for years and years and years I would race. So, I would break up however many days I got over several weekends just to, to go racing. So I never took more than, you know, two, three, four days at a time. But the other thing is I just, I don't do well. Um, lockdown, I did not handle well last year. Even this year, we had 10 days off, 11 days off. I went into the office one day just to get the mail, check the messages. Do I just, I had to. I was like, I can't be gone. I, ha- I just... I don't do home well. It was a little easier this year with the cat. He was kind of fun, and he's just like, hey, let's sleep all day. And I'm like, you make a good argument. Uh, but no, I I would be right there with you. I'd be losing my mind for two weeks. But yeah, it, it, it can get a little tedious, but I'm glad I picked up a craft project. Um, so I, I just uh, put my order into the wig company that I, I generally go with, and uh, they're going to see if they can track down a wig for me, so... Uh, it, it's just full on. I should get fabric in sometime this week, and I'm going to do some testing with it with my sewing machine. And I know I say this so often, but really, we need to start cutting stuff out and doing drops because not only did you reference a wig emporium of some reference, it is one that you use. You called your wig guy. 
Yeah, I well, I I have wig ladies, I should say. But yes. Okay. So not only do you have a lady or ladies in your Rolodex that you could just call and get a wig, you're on very good terms with them, and they are going to scour the earth <laughs> for you and a wig. It's true. Yeah, they're, they're they're great people. The five wits. You should. I actually want to see if we can get them on the podcast because uh, they're they're really fun and have lots of craft things going on. Um, I want to go through your phone next time we're together. <laughs> I want to look at your contacts. I am embarrassed. I have contacts in there from like my first job still. I've never talked to those people again. <laughs> oh, God almighty. All right. Well, what are you drinking? Hopefully not something that you were also drinking at your first job, because I know what you used to drink when you were younger. <laughs> uh, I am. I, I went I went back to my tasting vials. And of course, all I've got left is scotch. So I am drinking... Uh, <laughs> Don't say it like that. <laughs> oh, wait. Okay, let me fix it. All I've got left to drink is scotch. Now, I can't do it, man. <laughs> uh, I am drinking a blended scotch uh, from the Sia distillery. Um, and uh, it is really good. Uh, I... I... I I'm saying this knowing that I usually don't like scotches, but I'm already halfway through my glass. It is pretty tasty. Um, it, it's got some vanillas. I'm getting a little bit of citrus out of there. It definitely has that scotch taste. Flavor. Like, you mean flavor. Yeah. Enjoyment. Happiness is what you're referring to. No, I. There's a, there's a certain taste that comes with scotch. That if you drink whiskey and you, whether you like or you don't like scotch, there is a, there's a key difference between scotch and everything else. And that's what, you know, what makes scotch. And it's, some of them repeated and some are not, but all have this kind of taste. It's got that, but I, I don't begrudge it. Um, and it's pretty good. It's toasty. It's smoky. It doesn't burn, uh, very, very long. It's, it's, it's quite smooth. Um, and I was actually pleasantly surprised. Some of these vials I, I've picked up, you know, the bottles are like ninety dollars, uh, but this one you can get a fifth for um, for forty four on Caskers. So uh, it's definitely worth checking out. It's uh, S I A is the distillery, uh, and it's really good. Go check it out. It's really tasty. Well, if uh, DJ gives you a recommendation for scotch, then it's definitely worth picking up. I mean, you know, if I were to tell you to drink something, you'd go, eh, he likes a lot of that bog water. But I don't know. It gives you pause when DJ says he yeah, likes it. So. No, it is really good. And, I, and I'm not getting, like, the dirty bog water taste that I get out of the ones I don't like. So it, it's, it's clean. It, it tastes fresh in an interesting way, uh, nicely aged. So, yeah, go check it out. What are you it's drinking, prof- buddy? It's professional bog water. It is. It's professional bog water. They took all the dirt out. I am drinking Uncle Nearest's 1884, which is a just absolutely wonderful uh, small batch bourbon. And, well, it's Tennessee whiskey bourbon. You know, it, it walks the line. It, it, it's like good Jack Daniels. Now... What's interesting about this is it's named for Nathan Nearest Green, who was a slave emancipated during the Civil War, or after the Civil War, I guess I should say, and who is, as far as we know, as far as we can prove, 
the first documented African-American distiller in this country. Huh. And you probably are sitting here going, that name sounds vaguely familiar. Well, there's a lot of social media posts that have gotten traction in the last year or two talking about how the recipe for Jack Daniels was written by a black man. Well, Nathan Green is this man. Research has proven that during the 1850s, before the Civil War, he was working uh, for a man named Dan Cal, who owned a grocery store and a distillery and a, well, a dry goods store and a distillery and a few other places. Jack Daniels worked as an errand boy in, in, and in the uh, dry goods store, and Nathan Green was the distiller for Mr. Call. And there is evidence that Nathan may have taught Jack Daniels distilling. Now, we can't prove that he wrote the recipe for Old Number 7 and blah, 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 but there are connections. The two of them definitely knew each other. They definitely worked together. Hmm. So, so that's probably where you've heard the name. <clears throat> now, Nearest's uh, own brand, his own label, pro- declares it to be the smoothest whiskey in all of Tennessee. And let me tell you, that's a pretty goddamn true statement. This is good shit. <laughs> uh, they claim that it is barrel-aged for seven years, although, interestingly enough, you have to go on their website to find that. The bottle carries no age statement itself, for what it's worth. <clears throat> it is 93 proof, and it has a darker color, which usually means they used a, well, used barrel. They didn't use fresh barrels. But no other part of that. You don't get any leftover flavors. You don't get any more remnants. It's smooth from basically the beginning to the end. It's almost creamy in the beginning. You get uh, like a little bit of sweetness on top. You get some of your wheat and uh, you know some of the other flavors. And then you get almost like a candied corn. Not like not like the candy corn, you know, the Halloween candy, but like almost like if you took corn and like candied it, like you'd candy bacon. That's the best way I could describe the note. Hmm. And then it's, uh, you know, sort of smooths out and you get some wood and some smoke from the barrel and then you get a nice burn. The old man was actually with me when I bought this last week. And before we even got home, he was like, open that bottle, open that bottle, open that bottle. And so I poured his two glasses and, of course, he was immediately going to shoot it. And I said, you know, goddamn, I just paid $65 for this bottle. (laughs) Uh, well, I paid sixty, but it was a five dollar off sale, sixty four ninety nine in Pennsylvania. I said, "You're gonna sip that a little bit before you shoot it," and he was like, "Oh, that's smooth." And then he sat there and went, "Ooh, and it's still burning." <laughs> I said, "Yeah." So it's it's a nice fire and ice combination. It has a nice history. If it wasn't so much money, I would probably daily this. Wow. <laughs> but it's about twenty to twenty five dollars too expensive. <laughs> Um, you know, just if you like a darker, you know, much more, it's almost like a brown as opposed to a gold. If you like a darker but smooth whiskey that then just punches you in the chest, look it up. Uncle Nearest 1884. Uh, like I said, I, I paid $59.99. It usually lists in Pennsylvania for $64.99. If you guys live in a free state, you probably can get it for a better price. That sounds fascinating. It's very good. I'm almost done with my glass already, and we're not even at the topic at hand. Give us uh, tools of the trade, though, because this was interesting. We were discussing this off air. 
We were, yeah, and and we don't very very often do that, but uh, this was just too great of a topic to pass up, and so I thought of with the topic at hand and the fact that we somehow missed talking about this as a topic when we did prohibition. Um, I feel like we briefly touched on it, but we didn't get into this. So um, I want to talk about flasks. One of my favorite topics. Uh, Mark, how many flasks would you say you have? Ooh, let me think. There's that one. There's the question mark one. There's the brown one. There's the set of three. (laughs) That's what? (laughs) Six. Uh, There is... Just a straight that one. Eight or nine. Damn. <laughs> I just bought one recently that I haven't used yet. It's a flask that also has two hidden compartments to hold two cigars. <laughs> and I'm just itching for an opportunity to use it. But continue. Uh, so I, I only have two myself. And I've gotten both of them as, uh, as gifts for being a groomsman, which is a very modern day uh, thing. It, um, you know, you Usually during a wedding, you you would give your groomsmen presents, and I I you know the kits that I have gotten uh, have come with the little metal shot glasses and the the cute little funnel. I think one of them actually has my name on it. Um, my my personal favorite flask I've bought for a couple of people uh, is um, it, it's merch for the Welcome to Night Vale uh, show. And uh, it, it says, uh, if you see something, say nothing and drink to forget on it. Hell yeah. That's, you know, <laughs> why it's, do we drink to it's forget? It's very good. Um, so go check that out. Uh, but I figured we could talk a little bit about the history of the flask. Uh, because I really didn't know a lot of this. Um, so the, f- the flask as, uh, as a concept really started way back during the Stone Age uh, with uh, mead skins, you know, wine skins, things like that. And they were, you know, generally wine and mead didn't really come in these skins. You know, they'd be uh, in, in other vessels and you would take some with you on the road. And that's kind of where the, the you know, the, the idea of this uh, having a smaller vessel to carry alcohol in came from. And, uh, you know, there were um, teardrop uh, flasks uh, made of earthenware from Iran uh, in about 2000 B.C. Uh, the Phoenicians had their own flask in about 1500 B.C. And they all kind of look pretty similar. Um, they're all, you know, various kinds. Uh, Romans uh, and um I mean, even Vikings as well, but but Romans back, uh, you know, 70 A.D., they had horn flasks. Um, And then we get into uh, about 200 A.D. in Italy, uh, they would make flasks out of hollowed out fish in Rome. Uh, So they were just making flasks out of anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, There were some some pretty fun, ornate ones. Uh, Peru, they had nicely painted Flasks, Mexico. They were they were ornately carved. Uh, in fifteen ninety six in Saxony, there was actually a flask that looked like a flintlock pistol. I have a shot glass that looks like a flintlock pistol. Um, <laughs> there's uh, a lot of various ornately carved ones. Uh, m- one of my personal favorites is in eighteen ninety in Germany, the pretzel flask. 
which was so popular um, that they still make them today. Uh, the, you know, there's uh, pewter flasks that the Puritans used to carry, silver horn flasks from 1880 in the U.S. Um, and uh, there was even in 2005 in Spain uh, uh, a pistol flask. Uh, all the way till you kind of get to the uh, modern flask type, you know, it looks kind of square. It's a little bit curved to align with the pocket, um, which was popularized in the mid 2010s. Uh, but again, that, that kind of design goes way back to prohibition. Uh, so, uh, here's the, the interesting facts for you, Mark. Did you uh, know that the word hipster actually originates from prohibition? I mean, that would make sense if you were carrying a hip flask. Yeah. Uh, they were, uh, hipster was slang for people who carried hip flask during prohibition. Um, you could also be dubbed a vile villain. Or, that one I've actually heard before. I thought that was pretty great. Um, and uh, people who carried their hip flasks in garters or in boots, uh, in boots were known as bootleggers. So that's where we get that word from. Uh, in modern day, um, you know, flasks are, they're not quite as popular as they used to be in Prohibition, but uh, it's definitely still something that you see as gifts and, and people will have. Um, in kind of researching the modern day uses of flasks, uh, there's definitely a lot of warnings out there to just be careful of open carry laws um, because a flask is considered an open container because you have cracked the seal on a liquor bottle and put it in a different container that can be you know, easily opened. So uh, if you are carrying a flask, just you know, maybe know what your, the, the open carry laws are around you and be careful. Um, uh, flasks are generally pretty great for if you want to bring some of your favorite liquor to, uh, a funeral, like every sitcom tells us, um, camping trips, uh, BYOB events, uh, maybe even bring it over to a private home to share some with a friend. So just, uh, if, you, if you're going to be carrying a flask, um, I, you know, I, I'll just turn my nose the other way. I won't look. Uh, it's fine, uh, but uh, maybe but bring enough to share. That's flask etiquette. We're yeah. talking etiquette on this episode. Yeah, br- That's flask bring enough etiquette. to share. Yeah, um, a, a good size flask will carry about eight ounces of liquor. So that's a good kind of measure of, you know, what you might want to bring with you. What What do you got for whiskey news, buddy? Well, I just have to say again, for the record, while you were talking, I was. Uh, doing the math again in my head, and I realized I had forgot one, so I have nine or ten flasks. <laughs> I have nice. a very thin, it's called a cigar flask, and it looks like a metal tube you'd hold a cigar in. It only holds three ounces, but you could put it in your cigar case, and nobody's none the wiser. That's awesome. I forgot about that. All right, so what I have for uh, whiskey news, again, more bullshit. And this is more bullshit that I was not familiar with. I understand that, you know, people like to tell me that I am out of touch that I am a man that, uh, you know, was born 50 years too late, yada, yada, yada. But have you heard of this abomination? I'm going to go into the Avonis lefty voice here, boy. Have you heard of this? I just read what the topic is. (laughs) Have you heard of this abomination 
that they are apparently trying to foster upon us that they call Dry January. <laughs> I have actually heard of this, yes. I have legitimately not heard of this until, well, what are, when are we recording this? Tuesday? Uh, Sunday was when I first heard about this. So two days ago. And I thought it was just another one of those stupid internet memes that nobody actually does, but that everybody fosters to make jokes, like that no-nut November bullshit. Now, apparently this is actually a real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it started in 2012, so it's been going on for 10 years, and it was started by the English. I mean, England's been going downhill since Margaret Thatcher died. Uh, it's been, it was started by the English, and basically they claim that there's all these you know, wonderful health benefits to not drinking, and it's all bullshit. Uh, but when you read more of this, uh, it really sounds like that, at least in England, perhaps, major alcoholism is an issue and that this is just a way to wean people because uh, you need to tell yourself that enough booze is enough and you won't be uh, missing it at all. This was one of the participants that uh, Rick Gosser wrote on Facebook. Oh, God help us. And so according to this, this is one of the people from uh, Health Something UK, whatever the fuck the thing is. Uh, I'm sorry, Alcohol Change UK, which is a British charity. And so this guy who runs this says, uh, it's kind of a self-diagnosis on how important alcohol really is to you. Can you go a week or can you go a month without any alcohol? And if you can't, why not? What is it that's driving your need for alcohol? Dry January allows people to sample sobriety without being overwhelmed by the concept of skipping alcohol forever. Now, I'm just going to say this. I know that they, they say in AA, which is a wonderful program, I'm not taking anything away from it, they say admitting it's a first step towards, you know, recovery. But being an adult means certain things. Being an adult, having adult problems means you can go out and you could buy alcohol. And if you sit down and you decide that you need to do something and you feel you're drinking too much and you want to take care of that, that's wonderful. That's a very important thing. And I wish you nothing but the best for that. And you should be given all the help you can. But I don't understand this whole thing of, well, everybody should just take a month off, you know, because it controls you otherwise. <laughs> no. I eat fucking cereal three times a week. Do I have to take a month off of that? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I don't understand this logic. Alcohol's not the only thing to do it. This is just the most recent one that I've seen it. But it's like, oh, well, if you can't let go, it controls you. No, motherfucker. It makes me happy. I've come to this point in my life both age-wise, experience-wise, and financially, where I can go to the store and I could drop $65 on a bottle of whiskey, and I'm going to fucking drink it. I didn't buy it to put it on a shelf. Which is another thing I want to do an episode on, whiskey collectors. I can't get into that. I have to drink it. Uh, so that's that. That's not, that's, it's all nonsense. But as part of this, DJ's favorite rye brand that he wasted all of our season two budget on, Whistle Pig, <laughs> is releasing a six-year age statement rye with no alcohol. Yeah. The Devil Slide Rye. And I actually kind of like what they're doing. They're kind of doing this tongue-in-cheek. They're releasing it solely for January due to this 
insane dry January movement, and they're tying it into, of course, the fact that a lot of bars and restaurants still have not recovered from the lockdowns and everything with COVID, or they've closed outright. So for 2022, January 2022, they are releasing this six-year-old 100% rye mash bill with 0% alcohol, which is quote-unquote undistilled, their words. And 100% of all the profits are going to charities to help unemployed bartenders and servers. Huh. What is this this offering called? It is called the Devil's Slide Rye. It is the world's first 100% rye-aged non-whiskey, the limited edition Whistle Pig Piggyback Double Slide, which is less than one proof, is aged for six years before being undistilled at the Whistle Pig Farm and Distillery. The results have been described as uniquely quaffable while also maintaining the original's bold, complex flavor. Uh, That's all from the official Whistle Pig press release, the distillery also recommends that it is perfect for breakfast because it's not actually alcoholic. Uh, so uh, I do think that is a great way to make Shinola out of shit and to have a little fun with some of these crazy people and to give to a uh, good charity. It's available on their website. It's going to be about $50 a bottle. Uh, it's a very limited run, but they claim they have bottled enough to last the month. And actually, oh, looking man. at their website, it's already sold. <laughs> it really is. Oh, man. <laughs> we are, what, five days into January? Oh, Jesus I really Christ. wanted to get this to try it. Oh, <laughs> man. Uh, Holy fuck. Okay. That, that was a better punchline because I didn't see it coming. Uh, oh, so there hilarious. you are, folks. You can't get it. <laughs> well, you know, pe- people overall, there's a great debate amongst historians. Are humans generally good with a few bad tendencies or generally bad with a few good tendencies? Uh, people like to support charity, whether it be in America, whether it be in Western Europe, whether it be in Asia, et cetera. People generally like to support charities if they can, and you get something neat out of it, so... Yeah, there you go. You, you know what? I'll make the appeal here. I, I'm not above this. If y'all find a bottle of this Devil's Slide, <laughs> uh, let us know. We'd love to get our hands on a bottle so we can review it uh, in, in dry January. You know, we've got probably three more episodes in this month, so uh, let's see if we can make this happen. I'll do you one better. If we can get a bottle for either this, well, yeah, preferably for gi- dry January, but even if we can get a bottle, period. I will review it while eating eggs because I say it's for breakfast. I will film myself having breakfast drinking this. <laughs> I love that. I'll, I'll one up it even more. <laughs> That's fantastic. That was a great whiskey news, man. I, well, and it just started in this rabbit hole on Sunday that I heard this thing and I was like, that isn't real. And then one thing led to another. And then Whistlepig was like, hey, but look. <laughs> so you know, here I, we go. I think to be fair to dry January, though, the way you and I drink is very different than the way people who maybe need dry January drink, right? Like, well, that and that's fair, yeah. but that's not the way they're marketing it. Yeah, they're not marketing it so much as like a legitimate treatment for a condition. They're marketing it as sort of like yoga, like oh, you'll sleep better at night and you'll find that you save a lot of money. Like, no. You know, like, no. Is that a thing? Because I, I'm going to be honest, like, 
alcohol makes me sleepy. I don't sleep as well, like, if I haven't been drinking. There I was don't a whole... drink to fall asleep, but, like, that's bullshit. There was a whole interview with that alcohol change person, and he was talking about all the benefits of skipping a month. And, and so a lot of that I thought was bullshit. And then a lot of it was, again, the way he f- was trying to phrase it, he was basically like, you know, you drink too much. Like, if you, if you stop drinking, it's great for this and this and this. And if you're a woman. And Ooh. basically, like, they were trying to say, and they're right, that due to anatomy and biology and things, men and women uh, metastasize alcohol very differently. That wasn't the way he was phrasing it. <laughs> no, that's super... I mean, that's like bar training 101 is that, you know, w- women and men deal with alcohol differently and that they give you some, like indicators to look out for as a bartender but uh like there's a like also everybody's physiology is different so like hey maybe just don't be sexist and you know they they claim that alcohol increases the risk of cancer for the mouth the throat the esophagus i've never heard of any of that the liver sure i i could believe that the colon sure whatever i mean i'm getting throat cancer anyway i smoke a pipe but you know, which is here's the thing: you will, if if you per, participate in Dry January, you will find that you have ditched the hangover, you have reduced your waistline, and you will save some serious money, all within the confines of giving up alcohol for thirty one days. I, I drink, I drink probably between two and four drinks a week, just based on like cocktail experiments and this podcast. And uh, I've had two hangovers in my entire life, so I think I witnessed one of them. You did. <laughs> And even then, I mean, that was a really good donut, man. So here is their opening quote to this interview. A lack of liquor can do your body good, especially after a spike in drinking during the coronavirus, and especially if you're a woman. Oh, that's so That is bad. how they open this interview. That's so bad. And again, I am not your typical, you know, Twitter lefty. I'm not what they would call a social justice warrior by any stretch of the imagination. But if you're going to open an interview like that, I am immediately disregarding everything else you could say. (laughs) You could be handing out $100 bills in the middle of that. I ain't listening. (laughs) No. Well, anywho, let's move right into our topic. Yes, because it involves etiquette. It really does. Uh, so today we're talking about bar etiquette, which uh, I took a fuck ton of notes on because I'm really fascinated by uh, I we're going to have to turn this into a series, Mark, because one of the things I am utterly fascinated with is the concept of a social contract. Yes, I always enjoy the idea of unwritten rules. Um, I hate golf. Uh, I'm not good at it. I, I don't get it. It's very slow. It's very plodding. But I love the fact that the actual rule book is very small, but all the shit you can't actually do, you just have to know. Yeah. So I, I figured we could start. I've got I've got four sections here. And I figured yeah, I just, know. They're about a page and a half each. Yeah, I know. So uh, <laughs> th- we've got we've got four different topics for bar etiquette we're going to cover. We're going to talk about ordering drinks. We're going to talk about paying for your drinks. We're going to talk about tipping. And we're going to talk about general, like, behavior. And I figure we could start with ordering drinks because this, you know, this is kind of the order in which you're going to need to know these things. And we'll kind of tie it up with some general don't be a dick behavior at the end. Yeah. And 
it goes without saying, but unless we state otherwise, and we'll repeat this probably a few times, but the, the vast majority of these are, if you, it's busy. I mean, if you walk into a crowded bar and, you know, the jukebox is going and people are two and three deep or whatever, that's when really these apply. If there's just three or four people, some of these are a little bit looser than others. Yeah, I mean, the, in general, whenever we talk about etiquette, the big rule is don't be a dick. Yes. Don't be an entitled moron who expects things for nothing or expects things for free or looks down on, on people in the service industry as servants. So by and large, that's kind of where we're coming from. And yeah, Mark's right. There's a lot of these that, you know, if you have a chance and the bar isn't very full and you want to get to know the bartender and chat with him and, and learn some stuff and, and maybe, you know, something happens there. That's, that's nice. Maybe you get a, uh, you know, a free drink or a longer pour. Maybe there are things there that happen. The point is, don't expect it and don't ask for it. No. I, you know, I mean, if you if you work with the bartender, they'll often work with you. <clears throat> but in a lot of places, and in a lot of jurisdictions, I know, there are some uh, governments, whether they be state, whether they be county, whether they be cities, where that's actually illegal. And now, mm-hmm. I mean, there's... There's ways around anything, depending on what happens. But uh, God forbid your local liquor enforcement agency is there at that given day. It's a mess. So especially if it's your first time there, don't go in being like, oh, you know, I bought five rounds. You can buy me a drink. No, you don't know what the fuck's going on there. Yeah, yeah. Never expect your bartender to buy you a drink. I feel like that's a good first rule, right? Yeah. Don't expect the bartender to buy you a drink. Don't expect the owner to buy you a drink. I mean, just because the owner is there, just because, you know, he comes over or she comes over and introduces themselves to you, that doesn't mean anything. That's just they want to see how you're enjoying it. They want to see, you know, they want feed real-time feedback for their establishment. They're not trying to become best friends with you. Not the first time, anyway. I mean, if you keep coming back, maybe. I, I mean, can we just make it the Karen rule of any etiquette episode? No one gives a <laughs> shit if you know the owner. No, no, it's, yeah. So, um, the first kind of going down my list, and I don't have these in a particular order, but, uh, generally the first rule when you order a drink is know what you're going to order before you get the bartender's attention. And especially if the bar is busy, have some go-to drinks you can order if the bar is busy. Know if you like an old fashioned, no, you know, a, a wine or two that you, you don't mind drinking. No, uh, a beer that you, you could, you could grab if it's on tap, you know, bars get busy in cycles. And if you have to order uh, a drink quickly and then kind of wait on your preferred drink, that's okay. You're probably going to be there a little while. Yeah. It's don't. If you see, one or two bartenders that are running around hustling and, you know, pouring multiple drinks, tapping multiple beers. Don't ask for like a fucking strawberry daiquiri. <laughs> if yeah. we have to pull equipment out when we're busy, it's not going to go well. No. So always have a plan A. And then if things go south, try to have a plan B. <laughs> yeah, it's usually good. It took me years, but I finally got like a couple wines I, I, I could drink, a couple of beers I could drink. Every bar in America has Sam Adams. Uh, I've yet to meet one. I've been to many different parts of the country. Everybody has Sam Adams. So I can always get a drink. Uh, I, I can always get a beer I can drink. Um, rule number two, never expect free drinks. Don't ask for them. Don't expect them. 
if they happen, it's a happy happenstance. But, you know, generally the, you know, the bartender is buying that drink for you or the owner is buying that drink for you. Like, don't expect it. No, it, it's a perk. It's not, it's a privilege, not a right. It's like yeah. driving. Um, these next two are really around, like, don't try to cheat the bar. Uh, don't expect more liquor if you're going to ask for light ice. <laughs> That's my favorite. Yeah. Go a little lighter on the ice this time. Ugh. Why is there all this cranberry juice? Yeah. Uh, don't ask for a stronger drink or a good pour. You know, drinks are regulated for a reason. Um, you know, the, uh, it, it's actually really funny to me. I, I hear so many people who go to Vegas and they're like, we're going to get fucked up. And then they come back and they're like, oh, no, none of the bartenders would give me extra stuff. And I'm like, yeah, it's Vegas. Like, they're so much more regulated than your normal home bar. My favorite trick, and luckily, you know, for the most part, we have our regulars. We don't get super, super crazy at Conrad's. We're not like a big city bar. But my favorite, when you get somebody new in or you get a college kid in and they do that and they say, oh, you know, especially if it's the second one, you know, make this one strong. Oh, well, so then you want to double then. Well, no. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. either you're going to pay for a double or you're going to get what I gave you. Yeah. Cocktail, and, and I think that's the other thing, right? Like, I mean, I, as a mixologist and somebody who really fucking loves good cocktails, like, don't ask for it to be stronger. Like, let the bar, the bartender knows what they're doing unless they're, they really suck. And, y- you know, you telling them that the recipe's wrong or to get pour it stronger is just going to annoy them. Just And to be fair, again, you don't want to generalize, but in my experience, usually if somebody orders a cocktail what we would consider a cocktail, mm-hmm. they generally don't complain. It's the people that get like a rum and Coke. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, you have one shot of Captain Morgan in that huge mug of Coke. You're not going to taste it. Exactly. Like, don't don't order, you know, a, a, a happy meal of a cocktail and then expect it to be, you know, the, as perfectly balanced as an old-fashioned. Like, get over yourselves. Um. My fifth rule here is shots serve a very specific purpose and it's to get drunk. So like if that's what you're there for, that's fine. You know, bars are relatively safe spaces for that, but don't push them on people. Even people that you go to the bars with, uh, some people might just not be comfortable getting drunk the way you are. So like just recognize that if you're a shots person, that's cool um, but don't like, don't be aggressive about it. Don't be a shithead. I agree with that 100%. I will add that there is, uh, from what I've seen, a sort of happy medium. I've noticed people are more inclined to take you up on the offer at least once. Yeah. If you let them pick their own. A hundred percent. That's a really good point. <laughs> If you're just ordering a round of whatever the fuck you want, chances are no one's going to go with you. But if you just, if I were to say to you, hey, DJ, what do you want a shot of? Then it's a different story. Generally, not always. Yeah, because then I get to go, huh, well, thanks for asking. Yeah, I'll do a shot with you. Uh, you know, give me some Jameson. Something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, this one can be kind of covered in another area, too, but... Uh, don't ask to put a drink on someone else's tab. Like if, if you're going to put a drink on someone else's tab, have them there or, you know, have them order it for you. Uh, you know, there, of course there are exceptions, right? If it's not a busy bar, if they know you, if they know the people that you're out with, 
there's always exceptions to this, but don't generally just go into a bar you don't know and ask for your drinks to be put on a friend's tab. Like, people are going to get confused. There's going to be a back and forth. You know, the bartender, depending on how busy they are, are going to be like, mm, I can't do that, sorry. Like, just open your own tab. If, if it's if it's going to be complicated, just open your own tab. It's fine. And it, in the most extreme situations, it could actually lead to quite a bit of embarrassment. I was out with a few friends a couple of years ago at a country club. And uh, two of my friends are twin brothers. And the one thought it would be funny. He put one round, not the whole night, not the whole tab. He put one round of drinks under his brother's member number. Because they're twins. He got away with it. Nice. Uh, the brother got his bill at the end of the month and was a big enough finance nerd and a big enough cheap fuck that he realized his tab that he had in his own notes and the one he got didn't match up. He found what he didn't have. He called and bitched, and the poor lady at the country club had to call the other brother and be like, dude, did you do this? Damn. So just just don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it may seem funny, just no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it, it sucks. Um, uh, one that I didn't actually write down, but I, I thought was kind of interesting, was um, just kind of a consent rule of, like, maybe don't just order a drink for a girl. Maybe ask them if they'd like a drink. Oh, fuck, yes. And don't ever ask the bartender what s- someone is drinking, especially if, if it's, well, if you're a man and it's a woman, just no, nah, no. <laughs> that throws up a lot of red flags. If I'm working at the bar and I don't know you and you're like, hey, what's that girl down there drinking? Uh-uh, homie, I'm keeping my eye on you the rest of the fucking night. <laughs> yeah, six degrees of a predator right there. Like, it's fucking creepy. Uh, don't do it. It's not going to impress them. Like, walk up to them, strike up a conversation, ask them if if they would, you know, they wouldn't mind you ordering them a drink. It's all about consent, folks. It's 2021. Uh, if you're at a busy bar, and I think Mark kind of already already talked about this, don't order a crazy complex drink and leave the pina coladas for the beach. You know, the, it's the same rule for, like, don't order a strawberry daiquiri if the bartenders are, are like, 14 patrons deep. Yeah, and... Uh I'll just tie it in here, whether it's busy or not. If you are ordering something and you have a way you like it or you have a signature twist or you have whatever, tell us. We're not mind readers. Like, if I'm making you a martini and you don't want vermouth or you want an extra olive or you want whatever, how the fuck am I supposed to know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, just tell me. and hey, Okay, we'll work with it. As long as it's not fucking extreme, you know, I want six shots or whatever. No. But if, if it's just a little change or whatever, Sure. Yeah. We can make it happen, but we have to know. Exactly. And bartenders will work with you, but also, like, along the same lines as this rule, don't walk into a bar that's crazy busy and ask, you know, it. it's not Burger King. You know, no. maybe be fucking reasonable with your drink orders, right? Don't walk in and say, you, you know, it take five minutes to explain what drink you want or say... I had this cocktail at a bar in Arizona and it's called the, you know, slippery purple. Have you ever heard of it? Like order something reasonable. And if it's something like a Manhattan and you just want a different whiskey or you, you know, want a perfect Manhattan or something like that, like those are all reasonable. 
but don't sit there and have a five minute long drink order in a busy bar. And if you have something that you really, really like and you found that it's not common, again, it's, it's a situational thing. If, if you're really jammed, don't do it. But if you go to a bar and it's even one or two levels of busy, have it on your phone and just yeah. pull it out and be like, can you make this? Yeah, can you make this is a perfectly reasonable question. Uh, my last one here is, when possible, asking the bartender for a recommendation is encouraged, and you might actually find a new favorite drink. Hell yes. Can't tell you how many times I've done this. Um, and, and again, this rule is, be reasonable, read the room, right? Like, if they're 14 people deep, don't go, what's your favorite drink? Let's talk about that. But it's also okay to, you know, read the room and say, hey, bartender, um, I like whiskey. Can you surprise me? Yeah, and sometimes I've noticed, too, somebody will come in and go, I don't really know what I want. And then it's, okay, well, what do you like? Mm-hmm. You know, and then, well, I like this and this. Well, if you like this, you know, you become Amazon. Well, if you like this, then maybe you'll like this. Yeah. Uh, it, no, I've discovered a lot of uh, great drinks personally. I've discovered a lot of lesser drinks that I still like, like the snake bite. Uh, <laughs> that, was that was a bartender recommendation. I don't want anything sweet. Okay, here you go. This is as far from sweet as you're going to get. And it was. Uh, so, yeah, don't, you know, don't be afraid. Again, like DJ said, read the room a little bit, but bartenders like talking shop in 80 to 90% of the case. You know, if it's a normal day, almost every bartender likes talking bar stuff. Yeah. So we're on to our next category, which is paying for your drinks. Oh, boy. Which is important. <laughs> they are. Um, so there's basically a few different ways to do this, right? There's tabs. There's um, paying with cash. There's some combination thereof. If you're going to pay with cash and you're paying drink to drink, uh, when they go to grab your drink, get your money ready. Don't make them wait for you to pull out your wallet. Because, again, you're going to slow down the bar. You're going to make things complicated. You might... Uh, you might cause them to slip up and make some mistakes. Just be ready with it. And if you're going to pay with cash, get enough cash. Yeah, and, you know, don't be... If, if it's in a place where it's legal, because, again, I recently discovered some places it's not legal. Uh, but if it's in a place where it's legal, just have your money on the bar. Nobody's going to fucking steal it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can remember when I was a kid, and I actually was technically underage, and I started going to bars, I was like, people just leave their money out? <laughs> What? Yeah. No, yeah, it's a it, thing. That never happens. Like Now, this next one I think might be a little contentious, but um I found this online. I think I kind of agree with it, but I, Mark, I want you to talk me out of it. Uh don't pay or tip with coins. Well, now I think I see what the person who wrote this online was going for. Mm -hmm. uh, let's say you roll up to a bar and you're buying an $8 drink, a $9 drink, you know, martini or something that's on special. Don't pull out a roll of quarters. Yeah. No, you're going to get shot. That sucks. But I will say, at least at the bar I work at, a lot of our, especially shots, end in a quarter. They're either 250 or they're 275 or something. And if we're busy and we're moving a lot of money, Exact change helps. So I don't agree with that on face value. 
<laughs> I see what they were going for, but, uh, you know, I, yeah, I don't. I definitely I, think I, it depends on the situation. I, I think the other thing that they said that I thought was really interesting is that uh, don't use the tip chart to, like, empty your pockets of coins. Well, yes. <laughs> like, you know, nice round bills are much easier to break out for a tip at the end of the night than... Ah, uh, shit, and we have, like, 53 cents, too. God damn it. So, you know, just, again, same rule. Don't be a dick. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're buying a couple of shots and you got 375, a couple, yeah, and a few quarters in there is fine, but don't pull out the, the roll of quarters you got for laundry and start paying for your drinks with it. Uh, tabs. Oh, tabs, Mark. It took me forever to figure out tabs at bars. I, I don't do it because I don't trust myself. If it's one of those nights, I don't trust myself. Yeah. <laughs> when the tabs come out, it's not a good thing sometimes. Yeah. Um, so if you're going to open a tab, open it once and then settle things at the end of the night. Don't don't open it and then close it after a drink and then open it again and then close it and then open it again and close it. You're going to cause mistakes. You're going to cause the bar to slow down. Uh, just open the tab open it once, and then settle it up at the end of the night. If maybe you make a mistake and go, oh, crap, actually, we're going to be here a little bit longer, and you open the tab a second time, that's not too big of a deal. Uh, the rule of thumb I was seeing on a bunch of different websites was um, never use your credit card more than twice, which yeah, I thought was no, fair. Because most places will direct you to the ATM on-premise by that point. <laughs> yeah, and if you don't want to open a tab that's fine. Like if you don't feel safe, just giving some stranger on the other side of the bar, your credit card, that's okay. Bring cash and make sure you bring it. Cash up. is king. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing that I thought was really interesting, I never really thought of was if you're in a bar restaurant, don't sit at the bar, have a couple of drinks and then try to transfer your tab to the dinner table, settle up at the bar and then go and dine and have, you know, that tab that you settle. And um, that's generally because in terms of POS systems, uh, even the best POS systems in the world have a hard time tracking when you leave the bar and go to your table. So fun fact, we were actually talking about this at Conrad's over New Year's because uh, they apparently are buying a new POS system. <laughs> And my first lesson was it stands for point of sale. Mm -hmm. uh, I come from a car background, POS is a piece of shit. <laughs> so I got really excited when the owner came in and said, I bought a new POS. And I'm like, what did you buy? And then he pulled out this like fucking Hewlett Packard thing. And I'm like, I don't get it. And he had to explain it to me. Uh, but there are a few exceptions to this rule. This is another one I don't agree with 100%. Fair. Uh, I don't know. I assume you could do it everywhere, but I don't know. In Pennsylvania, you can actually eat at the bar. Yes, 100%. So if you eat at the bar, then obviously that rule doesn't apply. Of course. But in my experience, the POS, which still cracks me up saying that, uh, but the terminal, let's say that, while it can be wonky, especially if you're busy, that isn't the biggest headache. The biggest headache in a lot of these places is the bar staff and the wait staff are separate. A hundred percent. Yeah. So your tip is really the issue because it won't get split between the two sides of the house. 
So while it is a good idea to close your tab, I think it has less to do with the terminal and more to do with make sure the bartender gets his cut before you go, or vice versa. Or if you're having dinner, don't just be like, oh, we're going to the bar, bring your bill over there. No. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just, it's a general good rule of thumb in a, in a restaurant that happens to have a bar to just kind of consider them separate entities, even though they're in the same building. So that if you're eating at the bar or you're drinking at the bar, that is different than eating or drinking at one of the tables in the dining area. And it's not because like the food's any different or the drinks are going to be any different. It's just because they are different worlds and they have different people. Like there are different bussers and we're going to talk about that in a bit, but like there are bus boys that get tipped separately from the barbacks. So you people still use barbacks. Some people use barbacks. PA that is going the way of the dodo. And it's not, not just my little podunk bar, but we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I don't see barbacks very often, but it's in larger places that do a lot of business. Uh, I mean, hell, COVID oh. may have killed the barback, to be honest. COVID may have killed the barback. Uh, before we move on from paying, though, I have one other one that isn't on your list. Hell yeah. And this, I guess this could be more behavior, too, but it goes under paying. All right, let's say you and I are out together, as we're wont to do. yes. Let's say that we're enjoying an evening of adult beverages and it come and you order, you know, a beer or whatever. And the bartender comes over and I want to pay for your beer. Okay, cool. You don't need to make a scene about it. And likewise, if there's multiple people that want to argue, like, let's say I want to pay for your beer and you're like, no, you're not paying for my beer. But, and then the two of you start yelling at each other. Oh, Jesus. Don't do any of this. My rule as a bartender is whoever declares first pays. Some guy down the end of the bar fucking's like, I'm going to buy that guy a beer. You know, as long as it's not a creepy guy hitting on a woman, if it's just a guy buying you a shot, fuck, I heard him first. I'm going over there. <laughs> you want you two want to settle it, you settle it later. You're both adults. Uh, if two people somehow yell at the same time, whoever's closer. And I don't care. I don't you. Oh, he owes. I owe him a shot. He bought one two weeks. Ago. Don't care. Figure it out. <laughs> this comes up way more often than it should. Mm-hmm. Like this enforced nicety, this aggressive nicety. <laughs> Just relax. At the end of the, you know, and I, yes, you should obviously reciprocate when somebody buys you a drink, but it doesn't have to be immediate. At the end of the day, everything will wash out. Yeah, it always does. I love that. That's a great, great etiquette rule. All right. We're rolling through. We're going right into tipping. Oh, boy. All of our European listeners can just tune out now. Yeah. So I I feel like we should just kind of say that when we talk about tipping, we're specifically talking about the U.S. I'm sure there might be other areas of the world that have tipping as well. Um, but in the in the U.K., generally outside of the U.S., the the whole industry is very skeptical of tipping so if you're an american going to the uk or to ireland or to scotland and you try to tip they're gonna look at you a little weird um i recommend just kind of going out with some local people and asking them like what's the deal this is the thing that we do in america you know what do you guys do here that that's always the best way like get get your lead from the locals so we're just going to skirt that whole issue and specifically talk about standard tipping in the U.S. So 
Uh, if you are paying cash and you're paying drink by drink, uh, the standard tip is a uh, dollar if it's beer or wine and two dollars if it's a cocktail. That can go up or down depending on how busy things are. Uh, One dollar should never go down. Always tip. Just always tip. We're, 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 I'm not going to argue that point. Just always tip. If you can't afford to tip, don't go out. Um, so... If you are paying with a tab and you're kind of settling up at the end of the night, 20% is pretty standard. I know when I was a kid, it used to be like 15 to 18. Nowadays, I, I don't think anybody really talks about it any lower than 20, to be perfectly honest. I, so if, again, I'm going to take the real hard stance here. If you can't afford a 20% tip on top of your bar bill, then just drink at home. It's not worth it. They wrote uh, several songs about that. They do. <laughs> um, when you are at the bar, a big tip up front is never going to negate a busy bar. You're not going to get special service if you flash money around. There is one exception to this rule. Which is? Uh, at least for me personally, if you throw me, not even necessarily a big tip, but a decent tip up front and say, remember what I'm drinking... Chances are I'll remember what you're drinking. You may still have to wait, but you won't have to reorder. Ah, that's a good tip. And I've done that in the past, and it works. Like, I mean, don't be, like, obnoxious, but, like, if, you, like, if you're at a wedding or something where the person's going to see a lot of people, you put a 10, uh, you give the guy a 10 and say, remember what the fuck I'm drinking? Most of the time, he will, or yeah. she will. Now, again, if it's a crazy busy bar, maybe don't expect it, but that might be a cool thing to try out. Um, so the, the refusing to tip or tipping less because you don't like the bartender or tipping less because you don't feel like you got the service you deserve. It's entitled nonsense and don't do it. Um, because the tips that the bartenders make, uh, they don't just go out to the bartenders. You know, if you eat at the bar, there might be some bar servers. They get tipped out of that as well. Um, if there are barbacks, barbacks get tipped out of the bar tips. So uh, just keep that in mind that, you know, tips are important in the U.S. Uh, and uh, don't be shitty about it. You know, you they aren't your servants. No, and, you know, it's like anything else that's good, um, you know, much, much like the racing world where I come from, it takes a team. Um, there are almost no organizations that are a one-man show. Yeah. And then um, the, the, the worst one I've ever seen, and, and I feel like this was a flex that very quickly was identified as toxic, but uh, the, the there was a tactic for a while of putting what you thought was going to be a good tip on the table and anytime you didn't get the service you wanted, you took a dollar off of it. Don't fucking do it. It sucks. It's the worst thing. It, it makes you just the worst person. See, this is one of those things that, you know, I think it's like one of those urban legends. I've read about this to a great extent, but I've never seen it, whether either, on either side of the bar. And, and I've been to a lot of bars as a customer, much less a, a, a bartender. And I've never actually seen somebody have the balls to do it. 
I did see it, and it definitely caused uh, a young waitress at a TGI Fridays to burst into tears and run run into the back. Oh Jesus! Christ. Don't do it. It's it's just the worst. And I'll I'll throw this in there, even though it's not nearly as bad, but it segues. Don't do the other way. If your bartender is getting you a drink. And, you know, and you, if, if, this is only if you have cash, if you're paying cash. If your bartender's getting you a drink and you have your cash on the bar and he or she is taking the money out for the drink, don't say take a dollar for yourself. That's fucking hard when you're busy to do extra math. Yeah. Just keep tabs of your, your, your bill and put the fucking tip on the end when you're done at the end of the night. Yeah, be reasonable about it. Um, and then the, the other one that I thought was just kind of ludicrous was don't do the... Don't worry, man. I'm gonna take care of you. Like, don't, don't be a dick. Don't make a big deal out of tipping. Like, just fucking tip. Uh, U.S. bartenders, uh, they, you know, we as a society, whether you agree with it or not, uh, they need tips in order to make a living wage. So don't be a dick about it. This is their job. I'll say this and we'll move on from tipping because I know we're running long. Um, Margaret Thatcher, this is the second fucking mention of Margaret Thatcher on this episode. What the fuck? That wasn't planned. But Margaret Thatcher had a great line I loved. She used to say that being in power is like being a lady. If you have to say you are, you aren't. In my personal experience, everyone that says, oh, don't worry, I'm going to take care of you, they don't leave shit. (laughs) Jesus. Um, uh, The last person that... uh, I heard that from was about two to three weeks before Christmas. I got a whopping dollar twenty five, oh. all in all in quarters. Well, hey, he paid with coins and tip shittily. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but we'll just we'll leave it at that. Uh, all right. So behavior um, number one rule: be patient. Bars are busy places. You could be drinking at home. Instead, you're out and somebody's making drinks for you. Don't be a dick. Um, Don't snap, wave, shout, whistle. Bartenders aren't dogs. The occasional... I I, I don't know if I totally agree with the wave. I feel like if you're really aggressively waving to get their attention, yeah, that's dickish. But if you just kind of raise your hand to indicate you need them, I, I feel like that's not too bad. What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, definitely don't snap. Definitely don't fucking whistle. Um, I am not opposed to a wave or holding your glass up, especially if I'm down the other end of the bar. I'm not even opposing opposed to you not shouting, but, you know, say my name or say, hey, you know, or bartender or whatever. Years of racing have destroyed my hearing. Uh, the bar could be pretty big. I could be down the other end. I might not see you. I might not hear you. The thing that annoys me more than doing the action is the instantaneous action. Yeah. Like, if you literally are physically finishing your drink with one hand and waving like an idiot with the other, like, you haven't been waiting. (laughs) Like, you just had your drink. That pisses me off more than the action itself. Yeah, it's actually not that hard to get a bartender's attention. Just look him in the eyes, raise your glass, smile. That's all you really need most of the time. Um, All right, so the next one is... uh, Play nice with others, which I just thought was kind of a really cute, like, kindergarten rule that can be applied to the bar. Like, be aware of how your behavior is affecting other people. It's not your house, and people deserve respect. It's a nice, easy rule. 
And I mean, a lot of it too is reading the room. Don't, and you know, it could be, you know, whether you're the guy making the crash jokes, whether you're, you know, the person that wants to watch a dog show at a sports bar or even something as minor as don't play the same fucking song over and over and over again on the jukebox. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to let you people in on a little secret. These new wireless jukeboxes that you can use the app for and that are hooked up to the internet and everything, they have remotes. We can skip songs. <laughs> and you don't get your money back. I will say, uh, if you happen to have a friend who is a bartender who happens to work at one of these juke bars with one of these jukeboxes. And if you happen to wait until there's a big sporting event and then very loudly play the Pokemon theme song, it's fucking hilarious. It was a lot of fun, but I think what made it better was, I don't know if you planned it this way, because you can, if you log into these apps and, and you pick your location, you could see what is playing, what is queued up. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you actually did that or not, or if it was just pure dumb blind luck. It had played after like one or two normal songs. <laughs> so the jukebox was going, and then all of a sudden it was the Pokemon theme, and you just see all these crotchety old men look around like, who the fuck played this? Uh-huh, and you get, a, you get a text from Mark that says, fuck you, man. Well, and it was glorious because once I figured it out, you know, we were texting back and forth. I told them what happened and they're like, wait, your friend's in New Hampshire and he could do that here? And I was like, yeah, he's fucking with me. And he's like, then they all thought it was the greatest thing in the world. They thought it was fucking hysterical. Yeah. They're like, oh, that's great. We almost killed you. <laughs> you know, like, then they thought it was the funniest fucking thing on earth. But uh, no, it's, yeah, it's just, I don't know. Don't, you know, and don't, if it's fucking, you know, 12.30, 1 o'clock, it's almost closing time, don't play the 17 and a half minute version of Inagata DeVita or something equally long, like, you know, Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell or something. Or, read the room. Or, closing time. Every March. Oh, no, see, we actually like that. I, well, no, closing time, we, closing time, we, uh, I don't know if that's in the jukebox, but we were very fond of the song, Get the Fuck Out. Nice. Um, which is basically a song about closing time. Uh, and that's good for a laugh. But yeah, I mean, just, you know, basic bar etiquette. Just know the people around you. Um, so this one, I think Mark is going to disagree with me on, um, but I think we're going to arrive at the same conclusion. Charge your phone at home or, uh, and or bring an external charger. Don't ask the bartender to charge your, your phone. No, you know, if... And again, this is another one that's super busy. If the bar is fucking jumping, even if you have your own charger, um, I don't know if you're going to find room. I don't know if you do X, Y, and Z. If the bar is deader and you have the cable and you're not a dick about it, chances are the bartender will let you, will plug you, the plug into a socket and just say, here, sit over here, you're by the socket, and you can plug it in for a little while. No guarantees, don't expect it, but... As long as you're not a f gaping asshole about it, and as long as you, there, people aren't hanging from the ceiling, I've seen it. I've been on both ends of the bar for that. Yeah. But again, remember that at the end of the night when you're tipping. Yeah. Uh, honestly, um, you know, we'll do a very tiny tools of the trade here. Uh, they make external batteries for phones. They, do. they make very good ones that can charge like four phones before it needs to be recharged. Add it to your bar repertoire. Grab your keys, grab your wallet, grab your phone, grab your external battery and a charge cable. Uh, and that is a really great way of making sure that when you're out on the town, you don't lose battery and you don't have to beg a bartender for an outlet. 
And if you're a member of a club, and I'm not, I don't mean like a country club or anything, but if you remember like a VFW or a Legion or something, ask your bartender uh, if they have one. You know, at Conrad's, we actually have a multi, it's like an eight USB phone charging block and a big Tupperware container full of cords. I mean, almost nobody uses it, but it is actually one of your perks as a member. That's awesome. So, so if you belong to a club, just ask. I mean, the worst they could say is no, and you know, or they might actually have something. You don't know until you ask. That's so good. All right, I got two more here. One is the when in Rome rule. Um, know what kind of bar you're going into. You know, don't walk into uh, a dive bar and expect them to be able to make a fancy martini with 14 ingredients or a pina colada. Um, you know, don't walk into, uh, you know, a, a really super fancy cocktail bar and expect them to have your local brew from the other side of the country. So there's just, it's just kind of, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. You know, it's a really great rule for, for general bar behavior. And this is another instance when asking, can you make this might help. Mm-hmm. And if you're afraid of insulting the bartender or insulting the bar, just say, hey, I don't know what, you know, like if you're ordering a martini, you say, hey, I don't know what kind of vodka you guys carry. I don't know whatever, you know, I'm new here. Can you guys make this or whatever? And you'll get your answer real quick. <laughs> if they look at you like you got steam and turds hanging from your mouth, chances are you should order a beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the last rule is tip well and don't be a dick. Bartenders and servers are your servants. You don't need to be out and about and there's no line or tipping at home. So just remember that like you don't need to be there. You know, I, we have a, a bit of a toxic consumer culture in, in the U S. Um, but these are, you know, people's jobs. That doesn't mean that they are inferior to you and that they need to, you know, go over backwards with every whim that you have. And I will add one more to that, uh, which again, kind of falls into read the room. But if, well, especially if the bartender, but even if people around the bar start asking you, how are you getting home? That's a sign. Yeah. So, you know, read the fucking room. Always have a plan B. If you don't have someone that can come and get you, uh, Ubers are fucking cheap. Lifts are cheap. Don't be that fucking guy. Yeah. But I think that does it for, for bar mm-hmm. etiquette. I mean, we could talk for hours more, man. We could elaborate on several of these points, but the three people that are still listening yeah. would be really grateful if we <laughs> Yeah, but uh, we would love to hear your, your, your funny or embarrassing or cringeworthy bar stories. Um, we're going to put a post up uh, when, with this episode on social media. Feel free to reply to that with any, any fun bar stories you might have. Uh, feel free to email us at thewittandwhiskeycast at gmail.com. There is an E in whiskey and no H in wit. Boom, got him. Yes. <laughs> uh, and we want to just thank you for listening. Thank you for being with us tonight. Uh, thank you for uh, hopefully subscribing on, on your podcatcher of choice. Um, you know, we're out there in all of the fun places, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, uh, Listen Notes is, is still mysteriously updating for us, which is always fun. Uh, we release right here into your ears, uh, 8 a.m. on Friday morning. So we're right there for you now that we're, uh, we're all getting back to work after the holiday. Oh, <laughs> um, what do we, uh, what do we do next week, buddy? Oh, wait, I actually think I know what we're doing next week. Go on. Um, a certain uh, writer and music aficionado is uh, 
willing to come on and do an episode about Star Wars with us. Oh, good, because I have a bunch of microwave popcorn upstairs <laughs> that I have just been dying to eat. And uh, I'm going to need to get my popcorn ready, as the kids say, when you two go at it with Star Wars. Uh, I can't wait. It'll be good timing with the, the release of the, the Book of Boba Fett on Disney+. Plus. Sure, that's a thing. It is, yeah. It's, it's one of the new Star Wars shows. So, of course, we want to thank Nuno Henry Silva both for coming on next week and for our intro and outro music. I was going to say, fuck it. I'm just going to thank him next week. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, we're going to make sure to send you to his SoundCloud in our show notes. I think I've been including a link to his latest book as well, so go check that out. And, uh, oh, man. I can't believe this episode's over, man. It's the first episode of 2022. Yeah, this is what the third calendar year for the Witten Whiskey. We did 2021, 20, 22 now. Yeah. Freaking A. Right? Oh man. That's that's such a fun statistic even though we we haven't been doing this podcast for 2 years yet. No, but it's just it's interesting the way things line up. I mean, you know, I've only I have only been at the museum where I work for 14 years now, for almost 15 years now, but it's been across 3 decades. That's so cool. It's just kind of one of those fun numerology things. Well, yeah, we'll look forward to hearing from all of you about your cool bark etiquette stories. But until then, cheers. Salud.